0: So today I'm not dressed in my normal preaching. I took advice from Gail that jeans are the new formal. So love you, man. Like Love you too man. So before we begin, I want to ask one question. Who here likes candy? If you don't like candy then you have to leave, Matthew. So But I remember growing up And know the saying is, where, like a kid in a candy store. So kids really love candy, and we probably do too, even today. But I remember a specific time growing up, and I was probably around five years old, and I really wanted some Tootsie Rolls. Really bad. And I knew my mom kept some in her room in a box somewhere. So I decided to, when she wasn't there, to go in and find some Tootsie Rolls for myself. And being a kid, you can't just take one piece. You have to take maybe two, three, four, I don't know how many pieces I actually took. But I don't remember if I got caught. But if I look at my history of the times I've done stuff I wasn't supposed to do, like my brother and I, getting in the dryer and spinning for a little bit. And and also where I broke my mom's sort of donkey statue, the ear off, and I hit it right against the wall where the ear was broken, and she's like, she won't notice. (laughs) And both those times I got caught. So most likely when I was getting candy, I got caught. But... How much do we go after something that we shouldn't do because we aren't satisfied for what we have right now? And as we're going into the story of David and Bathsheba, so if you want to turn to 2 Samuel, we're going to go through 11 and 12. And before we start reading... I'm going through the passage. I want to ask you guys a few questions. And you guys are Bible college students, so I'm going to pick on your brain. What are some things that I want you guys to respond? What are some things in David's early life that are major events in his career? What would I want to ask you guys? What are some things that happened in his life? What was that? Kill a, lion. Kill a lion, Matt. Uh, he was anointed as king. Oh, anointed yeah, as king. Okay. What were some other stuff? Kill Goliath. Kill Goliath. Okay. There we go. There's the other one. What were some other things that he did that were major events like trials in his life in the first part of his life? <laughs> <laughs> that that was probably a pretty major event. So, course, <laughs> you got one more.
1: Yeah, well,
0: I like Matthew's version better. So, uh, Sorry, David, we're done. So. But those are just a few things that we know about David and his life. And if we didn't know this story before, we would be seeing David as this mighty man. As this valiant man who had great faith and who was a man after God's own heart. And now we come to a turning point. There's something that changes in David's life. So as we go through it, I'm going to read the first part, first verse, and then go through it. So, Chapter 11, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, But David remained at Jerusalem. And this time, David should be going out to war. Because at this time is when it's the driest time of the year, and so you have a lot of men to go fight. But what is David doing? He's sitting in his lazy boy, just relaxing. He's not going out and doing what he was called to do. And as we go through, we'll see what was going on in his heart at that time. But we continue on the story, and a lot of us know the story. And then David takes a little stroll on his roof, just walking around, and he sees a a woman bathing. And David's not like, get it! No! Please! like running away. What we would expect, almost like a Joseph... Mentality where he would go away, not even give it a second thought. But yet, David dwells on his lust. Then he asks the servants, who is this woman? And they say, oh, it's Bathsheba, the wife of uh, Uriah the Hittite. Right there, it should uh, sort of give David a hint that this ain't just some random person that they put in here. Uriah is one of David's mighty men. A man that David fought alongside with for many years. That they probably grew to know each other very well and yet now he is just like, okay. So he brings Bathsheba in sleeps with her, and then David gets the note that says sort of the issue that's going to arise is she's pregnant. Now we see David's wheels turning in his mind. He's thinking, I have to fix this. Because if people find out, the law says I should die. So he's trying to figure out a way to cover up his sin, So he's like, you know what I'll do? I'll bring Uriah back and then I'll have him sleep with his wife and it'll be all good. So Uriah, Uriah comes in, David grabs his chair, and I need one volunteer. Who wants to volunteer? And they got to bring their chair with me. Alright Matt, bring your chair. So let's say that Matt is right, and we're just chatting it up, eating a lot of good food, and just like, how's the weather? It's like, it's great. Yeah, okay. How's how's fighting? Are you doing good? Um, I'm killing them all. I'm killing them all. Okay, all by yourself? Well, no, I do Okay, okay, that's good. And so, as they're just having a conversation, David is probably not thinking of, oh, how are you fighting? How's the weather? All this. He's probably like, i got to get him to go home. This whole time, nice conversation. And if we had a conversation with our enemy, we probably wouldn't be thinking nice thoughts about them. And even though Uriah is not really his enemy, but he needs him to cover his sin a little bit. So he gets him he's like, Okay, Uriah, you should go home. You can go home. You can go back now. Yeah, you can go back. So he sends him home, but Uriah doesn't go home. He goes to the gate and sleeps with the servants at the gate. When David hears about this, he's like, Brings his back Uriah. You don't have to come back up, Matt, so I don't want to make you work out too much. So he brings him up, and he asks him, why didn't you go home? You've been fighting. You've been working hard. You should go home. But what does Uriah say? And let's look at it in verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in an open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and your soul lives, I will not do this thing. That's right there, just as we read it, it screams irony in it. We look at it and we're like, wow, how far has David come? That now we have one of his men almost having a mirror showing it up to him, and yet David doesn't see it. The man that we have read about before, how far has he come? Where now he's not following the Lord and he's so hard to him. And Uriah is showing us what David should be like, but he's not. Then we go through where then David's like, okay, next best thing is I got to get him drunk because no drunk man can stay away from his wife. So next best thing. But what happens again? Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah is not satisfied to going home when his fellow soldiers are fighting, when the ark is not in a temple, and where his people are right now. He's not satisfied with that. And it's really showing David where how far he's come. Now we get to where then... David writes a letter, giving it to Uriah, which is Uriah's death sentence. And as Uriah is back in battle, Joab puts him in the front lines, as the letter said. And Uriah dies. Then, when Joab is telling the messenger, like, okay, when you go to David make sure to say what happened, but at the end of it, just say, oh, Uriah the Hittite is dead. And so as the messenger goes there, he's asking and sort of like telling him all the bad things, and you can sort of see almost David being like, how foolish are you guys in your military strategic tactics? Like, you do not go against a wall when people are shooting down on you. But once David hears that Uriah is dead, he changes and he's like, oh, okay, you can go back, tell the the general, like, everything's all right. That's just what happens in wars. People die. How far has David come? How far has he away from God he's moving away that he's willing to sacrifice men for his sin and so then we go through and then David takes Bathsheba to be his wife but at the end of this verse of chapter 11 we see and it says but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. If this was like a Netflix film, this is sort of like putting on, saying, okay, there's a cliffhanger. Now there's something that's coming ahead, and we just got to wait like 10 seconds until the next episode starts. Then let's read on in chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had brought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat with his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to, which, to the rich man, He did this thing, and because he had no pity, Nathan says to David, You are that man. Ew. That is a dagger to the heart. And we see then what the consequences are going to happen. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Nathan goes on to say then all the consequences are going to happen. Of the things that are going to come to pass because of David's sin. That the sword won't depart from his house. And as we go through, then we see David repent. He repents and Nathan says that he will not die. But the child will die. Then Nathan leaves, and David prays the Lord to save the child. But in the end, the child dies. Then the story sort of speeds up, and then we hear about where they have another child named Solomon, who is going to be the future king. And then David goes back to war. And we wonder, is that it? And many of us know the, more of the story of a lot of things that happened in David's family. A lot of things that we wouldn't imagine The consequences of David's sin. But how do we know David was truly repentant? Because like when Selim preached in 1 Samuel 15 about Saul repenting, what's the difference between those two? And if we look at Psalm 51, when David is crying out to the Lord, I'm going to read the first four verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your bounded mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then later on, David talks about how God doesn't delight in sacrifices and things that he does, but he delights in a broken and contrite heart. Like what Corey was preaching the other week about false worship. It didn't matter if David was fasting or sacrificing It was where his heart was, and that's where we see David's repentance of it, of the sin. So then, with the story ended, how does this apply to us? Is it now okay? Let's say that now the roof. That David was walking on is our computer. Okay, our computer now, and Bathsheba is porn. So now we all we have to do is throw out our computer, and we're good. If that's what you guys get, then I have failed you as a preacher. But let's let me ask a question, and I'm going into my counseling training now. Why did David sin? Why did he sin? Was it because he was lazy, old, tired? Sorry for you old people. (laughs) That's not a reason. Uh, So, why? Let's look at verse 8 in chapter 12. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added much more to you. David was not satisfied in the Lord. David was not satisfied in what the Lord had done in his life. And I always ask myself this question. It's like, okay, well, you think of Israel as a whole. When they just get out of Egypt, and then they're complaining about not having bread or water, they're unsatisfied where they're at. And I'm like, wow, those, they just saw God do all these plagues and part the Red Sea. I would think I would be on board to be like, I think he can give us a little bread. then I remember myself and say how easy is it for me to be unsatisfied with the Lord how easy is it for me to go away and try to find satisfaction in something else besides the Lord and what he has given me and yet despite David's sin and unsatisfaction in the Lord, God used him. Because the king, the king of kings came through David's line. Matthew as a whole in the beginning shows where the Messiah came, where the king came from, from the line of David. And even as Stephen preached about Samson, a man who was used mightily, and yet was not really satisfied in things that he had. Wasn't the greatest person, but God used him in the end. So, can God use us even though we are prone to wander? I hope so. I hope that he uses i know he will use us because if we look at Romans 8:31 and 32 and it says what then shall we say to these things If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This doesn't mean that you'll get a Lamborghini or a million dollars. I'm sorry. But what greater gift can God give us than his son? And yet, it hurts my heart to see myself wander away from that. To not be satisfied in what the Lord has done in our life, in my life. So how do we be satisfied in the Lord? Do we just have to not look at porn for five years? Or do we have to sell all our possessions and live on the street? What do we have to do to be satisfied in the Lord? And one thing that I have to tell you is that you can't do it on your own. You can't muster up all these good deeds as Corey preached the other week and say you're satisfied in the Lord. As we saw here in David It's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of what you do to make your deeds better, to be satisfied. But God has given us a promise in His Word that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. And do we believe that God's Word is true? Do we believe that the body of Christ is here to build us up, to help us, to encourage us? Do we believe really what Jesus said and what he has done in our life? And it's a great thing to know that it's not by our works that we're saved or our righteousness, but by what he has done. that we can be satisfied in who Jesus is and what He has done in our life. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank You for this time. Thank You for what You're doing in all our lives, Lord. To, just to love You, Lord, and to understand that The things of this world will not satisfy. That as David sought after something to satisfy, Lord, it did not. I pray that we wouldn't fall into that, Lord, that you would keep us away from temptation. That you would spur us on to you, Lord, and to love you only. I thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.